I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Otenka. With me, as always, my good friend Mike Minkoff. I am here. I am in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm hoping that Jason Tatum's superstar Nova from yesterday, uh, Sunday's game, is uh, finding its way to me via like osmosis or some other scientific process I don't understand. <laughs> I think it's called magic. Josh Matenko is not with us today on the podcast. We're going to talk about, a, Mike, I'm going to need your help with a, a little relationship uh, advice before getting Oh, in. no, Adam, what? What, what's the issue? I, 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 thought, I thought we did our weekly like uh, emotional therapy check-in on, on Thursdays. Yeah, I, we missed this Thursday therapy session. So we're, we're going to start with that before getting to um, some player comps on the Celtics. Some lineup data from you, Mike, and then hitting the trade deadline. But first, this breakup thing, Mike, it's, it's um, I, I wouldn't call it a breakup, but I, I'm on a break from the Celtics right now. The Celtics and I, we're taking a break. I, I can't take it anymore. And it's not me. It's definitely the Celtics. Uh, they need to go and figure some things out. I, like, I cannot watch this team right now. It's too frustrating. Uh, it's unhealthy. Uh, it's emotionally taxing. And I just think we're not right for each other right now. I need your help. Well, I I have like four different reactions to that. Um, One is, I mean, so the Portland, since we last recorded, the Celtics had uh, a really painful loss to the Charlotte Hornets. I don't remember what the final score was, but I'm pretty sure we scored 92 points and shot uh, approximately one for 11,074 <laughs> um, in the game from all places on the floor. Uh, so that was lackluster, to say the least. And we followed up that gem uh, by playing uh, on Friday against the Trailblazers, where we were winning by, uh, 100 to 89 with a little over seven minutes left in the game. Uh, after which point we managed not to get another field goal. I think Grant Williams got two free throws in that process. But yeah, another fourth quarter lead blown, um, at which point the Celtics blog slack was uh, pretty uh, apocalyptic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, People were uh, oh so emotionally positing, maybe it's time to trade Brown, maybe it's time to trade Tatum, maybe it's time to uh, break up with the team. Uh, in, in that spirit, I was uh, describing my relationship with the team as emotionally volatile, mm-hmm. uh, which, which you know, so I get where you're coming from, Adam. Uh, I clearly have not broken up or taken a break from the team. I'm still watching the games. Um, something that I was rewarded for uh, with our gem of a game on Sunday against the, the Wizards, as I alluded to at the top, uh, where, where Tatum went, went uh, supernova for 51 points, like nine of 12 from three after he had missed his uh, 23 pointers going into the game. So 
you know, I I've been giving this a lot of a lot of thinking, and and I think I think the issue uh, that I know I've struggled with as a Celtics fan is, and, and we're going to touch on this over the course of this episode uh, a bit, is like how to properly frame this team so that I can kind of not get so up and down because this this team is very Jekyll and Hyde, right? It has it has these performances where everything they kind of it all clicks whatever they're talking about and the coaches the meetings with coaches and whatever the points of emphasis have been it's all registering for all the players are doing it the right way and you get a game like uh the wizards game where they win by 29 points uh you know just everything looks right and then you that is like comes right on the heels of two awful games uh like the ones against charlotte yeah, how so, am I supposed to get excited about this Washington game? And, and let me just say, Mike, all three of those games, the Charlotte-Portland-Washington game you talked about, you know how you in a relationship sometimes you kind of like start to step your uh, one foot out the door before you actually make a move? That's what I, I didn't see a single one of those games. Like I, I, I haven't been able to do it. And then I, I hear about the Tatum 50, and I'm like, so what? This is just like – this my partner's being nice to me, trying to, to draw me back in, and it, it's just gonna the switch is just gonna flip again. It's too volatile. Well, I think I think what we have to embrace, uh, what you have to embrace in your relationship with the mm-hmm. Celtics, mm-hmm. is it's it's going it's going through an evolution. It's going through a growth phase, and you know, as Josh likes to say, learning is not linear. Uh, this process is not linear. So you have to appreciate your partner for trying. Your partner's trying. They're not always going to get it right. <laughs> they're not They're not always. In fact, uh, they're going to do the wrong thing that you've already talked to them a million times about. They're going to keep doing it. Uh, and it's going to drive you a bit batty. But you, you, you can choose to take a step back and appreciate it's a time of growth. It's a time of evolution. And there will be some bumps in that road. It's not going to be perfect overnight. It's not just going to suddenly flip and, and sustain. Uh, but but these are all bumps on the road to progress. Does that help at all, Adam? Does that, how do I protect myself along the way? Well, you just have to remind yourself that that's the reality. So, you know, when there is a good a good performance like the one against the wizards appreciate it recognize it say that was great that was great it doesn't mean that everything's like now the celtics are back into the contention conversation it doesn't mean they're going to go on a 10 game win streak continuing to do this but it's it shows that there's some this is a this is a seed of growth this is a sign of incremental improvement and just because you know there's moments of slippage that we can pr- predict they're going to be um, inconsistent. There's going to be slip-ups because these guys still are young. They're still relatively new in their new roles, and it's still an, an imperfect roster. That doesn't mean everything about it is broken and busted and hopeless. You well, just need to focus. You just need to ac- accept where things are now and, and embrace that it's going to be imperfect in the interim. 
It's interesting because I love watching young teams. I love the idea of rooting for potential. And I'm aware that the issue with this team is that the expectations are higher, much higher than the execution. And the frustration with this team is not because they're 500. It's because we think they should be so much better because Tatum and Brown are, are so good, are so talented. And as a team, they should be playing better. Uh, well, I'm just hoping it's not like I'm going to be out here dating other teams. I haven't started watching the Chicago Bulls or something like that. Uh, so I'm hoping the Celtics take me back later. What do you think? I, I, I think that's a little selfish. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I, Celtics, I'm, I'm sticking with you through the thick and thin here. So just remember that. Remember who your, your real loyal fans are and, and who the, the ones that, you know, Needed a break. That's all I'm going to say, Adam. Well, help me see what is is uh, assisting you in maintaining patience and, and, and optimism here. Well, again, I, I mean, I don't even know. Like, yes and no on the optimism. Like, I think it's more... <laughs> It's not that I'm not optimistic. It's that it's that that's not that's not the focus. It's not like I'm like the season's gonna get like the Celtics again. I don't think the Celtics are going to like really elevate into the championship co- conversation. I don't think they're gonna go on a run like they did in the bubble playoffs, where they're in the Eastern Conference Finals or anything like that. And and you know playing uh, the the eventual um, the you know playing in that case it was the heat to like extremely close in a six game series. Right. Like we're not, we're not there yet, but I do think you can, you know, to, to prevent yourself from getting apoplectically frustrated after these really bad losses, which they have been, they're bad losses and they're not fun to watch as a fan. You know, it, I, what I've been kind of thinking about a lot is like, with all this talk about Tatum and, and Jalen Brown and do you need to break them up and blah, 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 like, no, Adam, neither you or I, right. Think we should break up Tatum and Brown. And, you know, I've maintained all along, like I've, I've said, I could see it being a possibility in a year. If we get closer to the next year's trade deadline and the Celtics have shown no signs of improvement and we have reason to believe Brown may leave for nothing that's like the last time we're going to be able to maximize his value on the trade market. And then you probably have to think about it, even though if we have any reason to believe that both Tatum and Brown are going to stay on long-term, you just keep riding it out. Like, and, and that's pretty much my philosophy on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think both of these guys, right. In their early career, obviously they benefited from having really reliable, well, mostly reliable Kyrie Irving edition excluded mostly reliable veterans around them helping kind of prop up the team taking on you know that that they knew even if it was just subconscious they knew they could lean on in like really high leverage moments in a way that they can't now so you know they had um I think Jalen's rookie year right I I, Isaiah and Horford were there uh they had Hayward obviously with Horford um for for an iteration there uh they had Kemba uh his first season here uh certainly at the start of the year I mean and and still Hayward so it it was only until this last season and a half where where all of those kind of 
the training wheels really came off, especially with Kemba's injury issues last season. Um, and we saw what happens when you really lean into young players to, to really be your, your hub for kind of uh, production and, and crunch time production in particular. And so I think of guys like Devin Booker or Zach Levine, um, who before this, you know, before recent seasons were basically seen as losing players. Um, and then all of a sudden you put, you know, Devin, Devin Booker, uh, a, he gets paired with, you know, a, an amazing, um, hall of fame caliber player in Chris Paul that helped kind of organize things for that team, along with the great coaching from Monty Williams. But over the last season and a half, he's increasingly emerging in his own right as someone that can kind of bring order to end of game situations. Um, and, and that's a maturation and no longer is he like a losing player and there's no question the Suns are happy to have him on a max deal. And Zach Levine, right? He lost and lost and lost and lost. And then now all of a sudden, I mean, the Bulls are getting decimated by injuries, but you put, you put hit, uh, they brought DeRozan in, they brought complimentary pieces like Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso in, and the, the Bulls all of a sudden made perfect sense. And Zach Levine was an extremely high efficiency uh, score first presence that had some strong defensive potential uh, that was able to, to bring it in. And, you know, there's some analog there with those two guys uh, individually and, and in different ways, each of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And to me, it just highlights, you know, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's inconsistent. And you can have, um, but, but you can have these like super talented players that are part of situations that aren't winning yet. That doesn't mean they're not going to be, be major components of really competitive teams. So that, so that's why you write it out and that's, you know, you can use this opportunity to kind of focus on some of the positives, um, and focus on, you know, what are the signs of growth? Like Jason Tatum, I think in, in the last two, each of the last two games, he's had like seven assists, you know, he, Jason Tatum's all around game just continues to get better and better. And really the only thing that was missing, uh, against like Charlotte and Portland and, and most of the, I think it was a game against Chicago before that, right. He would just stop missing shot, stopped making shots that he normally hits. Um, and that, that kind of reversed in a big way against Washington. But Tatum is getting better. He is attacking the hoop more. I think Adam T Taylor on Celtics blog had a great article about this. Um, he is attacking the hoop more. He's getting downhill. He's setting up his teammates more effectively. Um, Jalen Brown is, is making improvements, probably not quite as markedly. Uh, he's had some high efficiency performances the last couple of games he's, he hasn't been as as strong but i you know i do think there's some promising signs here with the team um that i don't think mean much for this season but i do think you know when you can remove yourself from the emotional frustration of <laughs> blowing an 11 point lead to a hapless trailblazers team uh over the last seven minutes of regulation you can recognize that things aren't all doom and gloom necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I disagree. I, I don't disagree with anything you just said, Mike. I, I think there's all sorts of other reasons you can come up with for why this season has been so poor. The transitions throughout the organization. Tatum has, I think, is exhausted. I talked about that this offseason. He's been going like three straight years now, back to back without a break. And I think that if he bounced back next year after a, an offseason with some rest, that would not surprise me at all. Um, and I think that could be the cause of some of, of his shooting uh, slump. But but the, the question that I keep coming back to, and, and I agree, like you cannot break these guys up. These are the are the best chance the Celtics have of winning anytime soon. Tatum and Brown have to stay on this team. And the question then is, well, either they are the guys that are going to lead the team in the right direction, or you need to bring somebody else in. I mean, who is the Chris Paul in, in your scenario? I, I like your comps. I mean, Zach Levine was a, a, a me-first scoring-only type player, and now he's far more coveted to the point that I think Celtics fans would love to trade for him. And there's no way that'll happen anymore. Uh, I just don't yeah, see I mean, the path towards bringing in the guy that is as good or better than these two, than Tatum and Brown, who is also the kind of leader just either because of personality or because he's been in the league long enough, uh, which is what Tatum and Brown are lacking. Yeah, I think, I mean, so look, you're not going to get, Hall of Famers like Chris Paul don't grow, grow on trees. There's not a Chris Paul out there. Um, I, I I think the player in the NBA that is, and, and to be clear, he's not available this regular season. He wouldn't be available to the offseason. I don't actually know how available he even would be then. But he, the most realistic candidate that I think would would bring the right type of complementary skills in terms of ball handling and savvy and shot making um, and, and kind of an ability to uh, remain kind of anchored in leverage moments in, in like the fourth quarter. The, the, to me, the ideal compliment that's realistic is Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I think, you know, I, I just think he's obviously not like elite, um, better than Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, though. I don't know. There, there might be an advanced stats argument around Jalen Brown, though. I, I think the average uh, person yeah. around the NBA probably thinks Jalen Brown's better, but like he's the most, he's one of the more realistic people I would put out there um, with an all around game and an ability to, to help set up others, but also, right. He's been a 50 or 40, 50, 90 guy, whatever it is, 50, 40, 90 guy in multiple seasons. Um, and he just always has had like a, a real calm about him on the court uh, and, and makes great decision-making. Right. Or like it's what p people see in Tyrese Halliburton. He's, he's a little bit younger and less proven. Um, but it, I would, I would be interested in that type of player. Um, I'm also endlessly interested in Ricky Rubio, uh, but he, he doesn't, have the same shot making, but I think he he unlocks some other key ingredients. Um, and I, let me just save you here. I, you're not actually comparing Malcolm Brogdon to Chris Paul, but no, you're I said saying... I, I said very clearly we're not getting a Chris Paul. Yeah, like I, I'm saying Malcolm Brogdon is the most realistic. Yeah, like complementary player that could address some of the needs I see that could help 
like he's a he's a type of player that we could put next to a Brown and Tatum that I think would help amplify their strengths. And he's not untouchable. He's he's he's, he's not, not necessarily available. But that's a guy you can get. Yeah. So. Um, and so the the but, real point there is is there, the guy the savior is not out there, and that's one of the biggest challenges with this situation is that there is no clear path to fixing this. It really has to happen from within. It has to happen through the development of Tatum and Brown. It's really the only way. But and that's but that's okay. Like I don't, you know, I, I think again Tatum is only twenty three. Right, he is absurdly young, and this is why, Adam, when we had conversations, I don't know, last season about should the Celtics like invest heavily in, you know, making a trade and going over the luxury tax or things of that nature, I just I felt like we were like two years early at least because championships aren't won unless you have like the truly, truly, truly transcendental stars like Giannis and Tatum's just not not as good as Giannis, that newsflash. Um, you don't win championships with teams led by superstars under like 27. Yeah. Right? So yep. like and we're just four years away from when Tatum really will be in that conversation of like, okay, he's like a really consistent top five and type top five to 10 NBA player. And I think Tatum will probably be there when he's 27, but that's four years from now. And I've got Keith Smith's voice in my head saying, you know, people keep talking about how young these guys are. And I even said they haven't been in the league long enough to lead a team like Chris Paul is. Keith Smith's immediate response would be people to keep talking about how young they are. They, they've been in the league like five and, and seven years or something like that. Like it's been a, they, they're not, inexperienced players they are veterans and we have to start expecting more from them and and i just uh, keith is phenomenal and i disagree on that point with him yeah i don't i i i would disagree with the premise that um these guys should be at a point or or or, yeah should be at a point where they are treated fully as as more seasoned veterans i i think there's just a different frankly just like a different level of of uh emotional regulation uh, that comes into play as you get older and that's a big part of consistency and performance especially in higher stress situations so you know i think yeah what i um what what i hear you saying is that i should just date older teams it depends what you're looking for adam (laughs) do you want do you want to grow and and uh, cherish the the fruits of of kind of navigating and enduring the struggle with with your current love or do you want to you know uh do you want to do you want to test the waters and then see if your love will take you back uh you know after you've dallied elsewhere i I mean you know i i think josh and i would have to cut ties with you if you're just going to start dating around uh here on the celtics pride podcast i don't know this is why this is why i come to you for advice (laughs) <laughs> okay uh mike you've got you've got some some data that that may also uh i'm hoping shed some optimism on on the celtic situation in terms of uh, lineups yeah well yeah there's a, there's another reason to realize that maybe maybe things i mean look 
I think I think the important an important thing to understand about this team is and and Bill Sai uh, touched on this a bit. I, I think it was Bill Sai on Celtics blog recently as well. Um, it's like just how different kind of so there's a, a prevalent argument or line of thinking, right? That like these these close game games that um, are close at the end, these clutch games. Right, the the outcome is actually is a function of luck. I don't actually believe that. I don't think it's an accident. For example, that the Celtics are four and twelve in these games, which is bleh. And uh, I was listening to, I think it was the the Ringers mismatch podcast, and they cited that the Phoenix Suns are fifteen and three in hmm. such games. Right, that's not just like the Phoenix Suns are getting good luck and the. Boston Celtics are getting bad luck. That's the Phoenix Suns have really exceptional players, particularly Chris Paul, that know how to execute in those high leverage moments. And the Celtics are learning how to do that. Um, I think that's at least part of the calculus. Uh, There is a little bit of flukiness in there as well. But the reality is, even if it's just a lack of execution, there's something to be said for let's say that instead of, you know, four and 12, the Celtics were 500, right? They were eight and eight. All of a sudden our record is 28 and 20. And we don't feel anything that we feel right now about this team, right? If the team's record was 28 and 20, how would you feel about them? I feel great. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So like, so, so that's one, one little nugget. The second nugget is the Celtics currently have the fifth best net, net rating in the Eastern Conference, right? They're better, I believe they're better than Philly. They're better than, they're like right behind Brooklyn. The the only, I think Cleveland, Brooklyn, um, Milwaukee, and Chicago, I believe are the only teams in the East ahead of them. Oh no, and Miami, sorry. So it's it's Cleveland, Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Oh no, and Philly is just ahead of them at two point two, um, at a net rating of plus two point two. Boston yeah. is six ahead of Chicago. Yep. Um, in the last fifteen games, the Celtics' net rating is fifth best in the NBA. Really? At four point at four point eight. You're kidding. At four point eight. Uh, over that game, the, over that period, they are eight and seven. Which, wow. like, uh, by contrast, the, the the so the teams ahead of them are Dallas, Phoenix, Philadelphia, and Miami in that stretch. All of them are eleven and four, except for Dallas, who's ten, uh, who's twelve and three, and and you know their point differential, their net ratings over that period are a decent amount better. Like Miami is fourth of those four. And they have a 6.5 compared to Boston's 4.8. Milwaukee has a 4.6 over that stretch. So does Memphis. Milwaukee is nine and six over those last 15 games compared to our eight and seven. Memphis is 12 and three over that stretch compared to, you know, with a 4.6 compared to our 4.8. So like, I think it's important actually, to me it's better or it's more relevant that it's not in my mind entirely bad luck. Because I think you can grow out of like I think I think so much of this is self-inflicted. 
both in things that the players are learning and that Udoka, which we haven't touched on, but he's a first year head coach. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, at the end of the season or whenever the right moment, he'll acknowledge, like he's a very frank dude. He'll be like, yeah, the coaching staff learned a lot over our first year, mm. right? There's stuff he's done wrong. And we, we've all seen it. We all know he's doing it. He's not making the best line of choices sometimes. He's learning. He's a first-year head coach. So um, I want to offer all of that as context, right? This team is playing way above its record for the most part, pretty much except for in fourth quarters. And uh, that's really hammered home. So uh, uh, what's uh, Stoolie, Stoolie Green or whatever his name is, the, the bar Barstool Sports guy, Celtics cover, um, he tweeted that the Celtics, uh, have, have had, they, I think they have a, like an eight and five record in games started by their preferred starters, which is like a 618 win percentage. But what really jumped out to me about that tweet was that the Celtics have only had their preferred starters in 13 out of 48 games so far this season, which is effectively 25% of the season. Um, Do you know how that ranks with other teams? I I don't. I don't have that. Uh, But that's effectively relevant because that lineup in 160 minutes this season um, has a a net rating of plus 19.9. Like, we are extremely good when we have uh, Rob Williams, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart out on the court. In fact, a lot of our five-man lineups are really good, uh, except for <laughs> that terrible one that we use for a lot of fourth quarters, which was the Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, Jason Tatum, uh, Al Horford, and Rob Williams, right? So that's, instead of our starters, that's swapping Schroeder for Brown. Um, and that that's a terrible lineup. We, we should never play that one again. <laughs> Uh, and that's where I think Ime would acknowledge he he rode with that lineup too long and he probably made a mistake. But I mean, the the point of this is like there's a lot of actually really positive indicators with our core talent, and there are a lot of good lineups that have Schroeder in it, just not those like double big double point guard lineups. Um, that make me think that. This is just like the team is literally learning how to close out games and win, which is kind of like, in some ways, it's like a cliche and maybe overstated truism. But I also think there's something to it. And I I don't know if it's going to, I'm not leaning on it locking in this season, but I think the growth of going through all of these frustrations and like Josh brought this up a couple of weeks ago, like the silver lining of losing. I totally agree with it. I think, I think because Tatum and Brown were kind of buttressed from the really being the guys when things went wrong, it wasn't really on them. It was on Hayward and Horford or it or Kyrie or, you know, they were, they were kind of, they were playing with house money. And now they like really have to focus in on the details of what they need to do to set up the team to succeed in these moments. And there's going to be mess ups and slip ups along the way. But I think, I think in the long run and, and, you know, I would expect next year we'll go better than this year, 
by a, a notable margin in close games because of everything they're going through this year. As frustrating as this year can be in the micro. So how are you feeling about the relationship right now, Adam? You're helping. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm still, you know, I'm still, I, I've been hurt, Mike. <laughs> I'm not ready to go back. <laughs> but I, but I, you, you, what you're talking about is a reframe, a paradigm shift in how I'm thinking about things. And, and it makes a lot of sense. I need to think about this team as if they're a developing team, as if they have not made three out of the last four Eastern Conference finals or whatever it is. I need to think of them as, as um, a team full of draft picks and, and yeah, with potential. So- when would uh, I'm going to throw a few like three, four, and five man lineup combinations at you, Adam, and just just see. I just want you to guess what their kind of net rating is per 100 possessions. This Great. is all from Basketball Reference, okay? So we'll start with some five man combinations first. Um, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Jason Tatum, Dennis Schroeder, and Marcus Smart. They've played 87. A little over eighty-seven minutes together. What do you think their um, net rating is? And and just just for those playing at home, Mike, what is a really bad net rating? What's like league average I mean, and what's really good? So net net rating is the difference between your your effectively your offensive production or like offensive rating and defensive rating. So your offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Uh, really, like just a. a a really good net rating is like anything 10 or above is like really, really good. Uh, really bad is, I mean, really you just don't want to be in the negatives at all. Uh, so if you're even negative by a few, that's not great. Uh, uh, it, that's an example of, I alluded to that, like starting lineup with Schroeder swapped for Brown. So it's Robert Williams, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Dennis Schroeder. That's a terrible one. The net rating on that in 100 minutes is negative 13.4. Yeah, to answer your question, because it's got Schroeder in it, I was going to say a negative 8, and it's only it's not worse because it's only 80-something minutes. Yeah, no. It is plus 18.7. What? Al Horford, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Grant Williams is plus 18.7 in 87 minutes. I, I, I wanted to bring this up because... People, you know, and we're, we're going to segue into some trade deadline yeah. discussion. People talk about the imminent need to get rid of Schroeder and how we can't play Schroeder and Smart together. It's just not true. Uh, J- J- Jalen Brown, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams, 63 minutes together. That's plus 11.1. Um, so, you know, there, there are some bad lineups with Schroeder and Smart together. Uh, but it's not the only one that's disastrous is when you're playing Al Horford and Robert Williams and Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart together. Don't play those four guys together. It's that simple. <laughs> and is that the just? I mean, people's issues with Schroeder and Smart together is a lack of shooting. Uh, Horford's been shooting so poorly this year, and Rob Williams just can't stretch the floor. And nor do we really want him to at this point in his career. Um, so is is that the issue there? Uh, what, yeah, one would assume so. I think, I think you're getting, you know, it's a lack of shooting. Um, yeah, I honestly, I think that's principally the issue and you probably don't get optimal defensive matchups. You get kind of, you know, Dennis Schroeder is a little bit limited in who he can match up against Horford's more limited now in who he can match up against. So you probably get a little bit less switchability as well. 
with that lineup on the defensive end. So you're, you're getting probably definitely worse offensive possessions and then worse uh, defensive possessions. I mean, what does happen a lot, I think when Schroeder and Smart are out there is Schroeder does more primary ball handling than you'd probably prefer. Um, And so that puts Marcus Smart into shooting spots on the court, which isn't great. And that's made worse if you also have Al Horford in a shooting spot when he's, when Robert Williams is out there. Um, You know, if those, if it's those two and Tatum and Jalen Brown, uh, that's a big difference as far as the amount of respect Jalen's going to get versus Horford on the perimeter. Right. So, so there is a big spacing piece there. Yeah. I just don't want Schroeder. I mean, number one, I just don't want Marcus Smart playing shooting guard. I want him distributing. That that's the whole yes, point of why exactly. it made sense the, the, the moves that were made this off season. So to make smart your point guard, and in addition, I can't stand Dennis Schroeder. I want him off the team. Yeah, that's a common a common refrain. I think I'm the only no. Uh, uh, Bobby Manning has tweeted about this, so I know he he has gone public with it. I think he and I might be the only ones on the Celtics blog Slack that are actually not anti Dennis Schroeder with our entire being, <laughs> which I, th- I think everybody else is. Yep. Uh, and I get it. He's got some very unlikable uh, aspects to his game, but we're actually, I mean, I, I talked about this last week with Josh on the pod, so I won't reiterate it, but the, the short of it is that um, at least to that, I haven't checked after the last three games, but to that point in January, we were like Schroeder was our best player in the month of January to that point. I'm not sure if that's still true. Uh, again, at the end of the game against Charlotte, he was the only one that could make a bucket. Like what he adds on offense is very useful. And if we keep a healthy rotation, like, and he's really bought in, in a six man scorer role, like that could be extremely valuable for us. So I'm, I'm, and I don't see how trading him for like a future second is particularly worthwhile. Yeah, I'm hoping you can get two seconds, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is gonna which is gonna help you pay off uh, all the seconds that you've committed to get rid of Aaron Baines and Ennis Cantor and yada yada yada. I think we owe like three or four just yeah, to get I, just I, to get under the luxury tax. Uh, well, th- these are really intriguing statistics, specifically the point differential one. I, I am legitimately shocked that the Celtics are, what, fifth in the NBA in the last 15 games. Um, I, I mean, they, I've been, I watched the point differential. It's, I think it is a typically good indicator of what the, the mean is. And, and the last, last year was similar to this year where their point differential suggested that they should be a better team. And uh, I think it's no surprise that why they're not. I think it, it is because they're young, because they're not closing games. They just, they're not executing when they need to. Uh, they're not, playing consistently and that's that typically ends up uh, you'll have some really good games and then you'll lose a lot of close games which is what this team is doing but one of the things that that typically points to is that um, statistically at least the team should be playing better going forward um, or that that point differential is going to come back to uh, is going to align with their actual record Um, but what you're suggesting is that they may get into the sixth seed here. You know, when you asked me earlier if they were twenty-eight and twenty, would I be? How would I feel? And I, <laughs> I answered, I'd be really happy. 
And it's, I, I thought about it for a second after. It's more because of just how bad relative to expectations this team has been. If they were 20 and uh, 28 and uh, 20, they would be in the, I want to say the, the sixth seed. They, they'd be, yeah, they'd be in, in the, the sixth seed. They'd be, they'd be just right. outside of the play in tournament. They'd be like three games back of, of uh, Chicago in the number three seed. And I, if that, that was what I assumed that one, they would be this year. One and a half games back in the standings. Uh, Only one and a half? Chicago. Yeah, they, they'd be three losses behind, so that, that it would be one and a half games back in the standings. Oh, back of Chicago, uh, yeah. yeah. Back two, of Chicago. Two and a half yeah. behind, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, and that, mean. that's effectively what they've been playing as. Is, is, in the last 15, yeah. And that's what I thought they would be this year. And if I saw that, you know, I'd, I'd feel okay about it. I'd feel like, yeah, that, they are what I thought they, they would be. They're not a top-tier team in the league. They're a second-tier team, and um, and you could make some some good excuses as to why that would improve in the second half of the season with a new head coach and and uh, new players on the roster and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, like right now they have a top five defense in the NBA. Uh, they just have a <laughs> they have a top twenty offense. Um, yeah, you know so. Uh, yeah, that I think again, I totally understand. Oh, sorry, they have a top 22 offense. Um, <laughs> I totally understand the frustration with the team. Uh, I understand why why the team would test one's uh commitment to them uh in these trying times. Um, but I do, I do think there's a lot of seeds of of uh that are that are worth kind of taking stock of and and as we look to the trade deadline i think these are really important pieces to to keep in mind because you know there are people including myself at times this year are talking about oh we need to blow it up the mix isn't right um but there are a lot of indicators saying that maybe maybe big components of this mix are actually have have real potential to blossom um and and maybe the any move that we would want to look at would be much more marginal and and really time and and perhaps better health which unclear if we want to try to rely on that at this point after the last couple of years for this team but uh maybe time and better health are 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 really are truly the key ingredients that that are needed so i had a couple questions for you adam as we approach the trade deadline um that that kind of touch in this in this area first uh is there anybody that you think the celtics must trade um at by the deadline and if they don't like and in other words if they don't make that trade it would in your mind be an objective failure by the front office yes uh and uh and why is it Dennis Schroeder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, w- it would have been Wancho Hernan Gomez, but he's gone. Yeah, Dennis Schroeder. Ha- I, I, so here's the reason: he's not coming back next year, and if he is, God help us all. Like if you know, it, it just means that nobody else in the league wants him, and that we decided he was worth paying, continuing to pay five or six million a year, uh, just on a long-term contract. This team is not good enough. They, they, even if they start playing to the level that you were just describing the last 15 games, even if they learn to close games out, there's still a number six seed or maybe number five in the East. They're not winning a championship this year. 
And the question you have to ask yourself is, is it better to have veterans around Tatum and Brown to help them learn how to close games? Uh, or is it better to develop the young players? And I firmly believe that Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford, and um, Aaron Neesmith need an opportunity. I get you know, the, the argument that they have been inconsistent, they haven't played that well, you have to earn minutes in the NBA. These guys need an opportunity. Can we please get something out of these picks? Like, they have no value around the league because <laughs> they haven't shown enough. And if we're not developing them, I don't see what we have next year or the year after if we're, just, if we're playing Schroeder and Richardson and others over them. Those, those are the guys that we really need to develop. So I, I see the clear decision there. And, and, and since that seems so clear to me, Schroeder makes no sense to keep. Let, let's play Pritchard over him. Like, develop these guys. I mean, am I, am I wrong about the way to get Tatum and Brown to learn to lead execution? That's the only argument well, that you could make that would convince me otherwise. Yeah, and that, I, I would say that would be the argument. So I, I, can, I understand the argument for moving Schroeder. I'm not inherently against it, but I don't see it as a, a move that the Celtics must make. And that's where I think I differ from some other Celtics fans, um, because I do think I do think he contributes more to winning now than uh, Peyton Pritchard does on a, on a night to night basis. Even though people don't want to believe that, no, um, I believe I, that. Yeah, the question and, and, is, what's and the I value think, of winning I, now? I, I think the value of winning now is that. So I think I think the. Be, I think we have agreement, right, that the issue, a big piece of the issue this team has is um, the consequence of youth in in kind of the primary decision-making roles during high-leverage situations, right? Yeah. And I think that you exacerbate that type of issue by introducing more young players that are going through their own mistakes into the rotation. Now, this argument's easier to make i concede if the veteran you're talking about is one whose bedrock is just kind of consistency which is not a trait i don't think anyone would label uh would would apply to dennis Schroeder. <laughs> but um i do think dennis Schroeder is still much more consistent than peyton pritchard from game to game and certainly like aaron neesmith from game to game um and so so i think I think you have a better chance of maximizing uh, Brown and Tatum's growth and and room for basically margin for error as they grow through the mistakes they're inevitably going to make by surrounding them with more consistent veteran pieces. And so that would be my argument for keeping uh, a veteran heavier rotation. Even though I share frustration and I would love to see more consistent roles for the rookies, I think the reality is that that makes more sense if Tatum and Brown are further along in their own development and ability to execute the way they need to consistently in these higher leverage moments uh, than it does um, in in the current situation. I think Brad Stevens and Emi Odoka agree with you. I mean, that's kind of the way that Brad was running the team as a coach and, you know, this is a concern of mine, but it's if you are right, then I think we've got the right guys leading the team. 
But if you're wrong, if I'm right, I think Brad Stevens is making a typical first-year general manager mistake when you're transitioning from being a coach. You, you end up making decisions as if you were still coaching. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, it's just, I, 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 what I will add is like, and I think, I think we are seeing Ime lean into using the young guys as a change for change of pace and, and sustained energy and momentum more recently than, than he did for the first, I don't know, 30 games of the season. Um, I, I don't think one, like, they shouldn't be mutually exclusive. And I think as frustrating as, like, Brad Stevens, like, 11, 12, 13-man rotations were when they bled into, like, this point of the season, um, I, I think Ime's inclination to go to, like, seven to nine-man rotations, it, it feels like, uh, is a little bit too extreme in the other direction. I think I think there's a happy medium with like a nine to eleven players that are getting in the mix um, with those like last you know three one to three spots. Uh, how deep that goes, depending on the opponent, depending on what the schedule has been of late, um, and I think that's that's where the opportunity, the missed opportunity set is and has been for guys like Neesmith and Pritchard in particular, who have played less this year than Romeo. At least Romeo played more at the beginning of the year. Um, there's also, right, the rotation change that seems obvious, but yet hasn't been made, which would prospectively be to put Horford to the bench, though I say that with more hesitation after looking at the lineup data I just shared with you than I, than I had believed it prior. But, um, you know, putting Grant Williams as a starter, have Horford as the, the primary big off the bench and have Ennis, you know, shelved and, and break in case of emergency type of situation. So, you know, again, all of that, all of that is to say, I'm not like if the Celtics moved Schroeder for one or two seconds, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's necessarily a mistake, but I also don't think it's a must do trade. So that's, that's where I would differ. I don't, to me, there's not a player. I think the Celtics must trade except for, unless you want to count like pick one of Bruno Fernando, Bull Bull and PJ Dozier dossier to get under the luxury tax yeah let's leads, talk about which that which leads to my next question yeah yeah so we've we've touched on this a couple of a few times over over the last couple of years um i've touched on it way more than you, anybody you, has wanted you, you've touched on it yeah you this is a lightning rod subject for you um the celtics ownership uh once again seems poised um, to have the front office execute uh, a, a set of moves that ensure that they are not a luxury tax paying team. What do you feel about the, that happening yet again, Adam? Oh, they're definitely going to go under the luxury tax. They're gonna, going to avoid it. And they're probably going to give up another second round pick to get off of one of these contracts. Um, I actually really, I mean, I liked the trade of Wancho and I think it was one second or was it two? I don't know. We didn't give up any seconds. Oh, I thought we did. No, we just gave up Wancho. There was a second from, so the, the trade. Oh yeah. Wancho, yeah. Wancho, Wancho went to San Antonio, uh, San Antonio sent, um, Bryn Forbes to Denver, uh, Denver sent a second to San Antonio, like a 2028 20, second round pick. And we got, 
two injured players from Denver, uh, PJ Dozier, and Bull Bull. Yeah, so there's four reasons I like this trade, and none of them really matter. But number uh, one, uh, why why are two of them Bull? One of them, <laughs> just because his name is Bull Bull. That's two reasons. Yeah. Uh, no reason number one. Wancho's terrible, and I don't have to watch him jack up missed threes anymore. Uh, number two, we open a roster spot. Um, uh, or actually, no, we're using a roster spot. No, we have not opened a roster spot. No, we opened the spot. Okay, so forget that. Uh, well, I'll just edit this out later. Now, the the another reason is that I actually like both PJ Dozier and Bull Bull. Dozier was on the team before. I, if I'm not mistaken, he is Reggie Lewis's cousin. So thumbs up to that. Um, and we had him as a, a two-way player, and, and then he actually uh, developed with the Nuggets. Um, we don't. They are both on one-year contracts. I was a big Bull Bull. Yeah, they're, they're, fan. they're both. They're both free agents. Uh, Bull Bull, we, we would have, he's an RFA. He's a restricted free agent, so yep. we'd be able to match. Uh, PJ Dozier, we, Dozier, we'd have his bird rights. That's right. So we can re-sign them if, if we like them. They're both fringe NBA players, but not. they're better than, they're, they're, they were, if contracts didn't matter, they would have both made the team this year. I was a Bull Bull fan coming out of, of college. Yes, you were. I can attest. Because he slipped in the draft. I mean, the guy going into his, Freshman season at Oregon was like a top 10 uh, guy. He's not that good. Uh, the history but... of the NBA has taught us anything. You always bet big on really tall, skinny guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who can drain threes like this guy can. I mean, this guy plays like a guard. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, he's got, he's got real talent. Court. <laughs> he's got real talent. <laughs> I mean, you don't think he'd look good on, you know, if he actually developed, I think he, he would look good on this team. I think, you know, if he actually cared about defense, he, he uh, could guard a little bit. He, he can block some shots. Uh, on a, the perimeter, and he it, he stretches the floor, man. Now, once he got into the second round, I was like, you got to pick him. Not as yeah, a first so, round pick. So a little behind the scenes, uh, behind the curtain. Uh, I was I was before before we started this episode. I was telling Adam I was looking forward to making fun of his excitement or interest in Bull Bull at the time of the draft, uh, and then had to refresh on who the Celtics drafted in the second round ahead of Bull Bull, and then realized it was Carson Edwards. So I have absolutely, absolutely no legs to stand on because uh, Bull Bull is, uh, Carson Edwards is one of a a small handful of people that I would definitively want less than Bull Bull. He is one of your, has to be one of your least favorite Celtics of all time. Yes, I, I think that's accurate. I just, from the first second he stepped on a court and, summer league i didn't get it um despite the big shooting like i just he did not look he never once looked like an nba player to me so yeah they traded out wancho saved some money got two guys back none of whom are going to help the team this year but uh, as i've mentioned before who cares about winning this year um and both you have the potential to resign in the future okay. if the money's right so great so this has been more than enough on that trade. Let's and, get back to the luxury tax. And it gets tax you closer to, to avoiding the luxury tax. So now you just trade one of those two guys, maybe with a second round pick. Maybe it's, um, what's his face, the center at the end of the roster. Uh, but it makes it much easier to get under the luxury tax. And you don't have to do it at, at the trade deadline when other teams are going to uh, screw you because you're desperate to get under, under the luxury tax because your owner has told you you need to, uh, which is exactly what happened to Danny Ainge last year. And probably the year before too. Okay. So you haven't quite answered the, so actually two things. One, you haven't quite answered the question 
as to how you feel about the Celtics going back under the luxury taxes here. But before you. you do, uh, to just to to clarify, we we shouldn't have to attach a, any draft assets to a move to get under the tax. What we should be able to do in this case is um, if you find a t- like to basically Oklahoma City, they're below the the tax floor or the whatever the the salary cap floor. Uh, so that they want to add add salary. So we can just send whatever player and literally we can send, I don't remember the exact amount. I think it's like 3.8 million or 5 million or something that you can send as cash from one team to another yeah. in a given year. So we can literally send the cash with the player to put, that will pay the player's salary to a team like Oklahoma city. Um, and that that's probably all that it'll take for us to get under, under the tax. Yeah. So why do you like or hate? us getting under the tax. So how interesting that you choose Oklahoma City as the team to send cash to. These cash-strapped Oklahoma City owners, who, by the way, are the ones who decided that it made sense for their team to just wave Kemba Walker outright after they traded Al Horford uh, to us in exchange for Kemba and a number one pick, uh, who turned out to be a pretty good player. And, And in hindsight, is not a good trade for the Celtics. No matter how you felt about Horford at the beginning of this season, it's still at that point. We knew enough about Alper and Sagun to to know that that was not a good trade. So the Celtics owners decided not to waive Kemba Walker uh, and instead to give up assets in order to get off his salary. And now uh, word around the league is that Al Horford doesn't have much value because you need a, a competing team to to want him. And none of the, all of them are fine. They don't need Horford. So uh, he's a negative asset now, and his salary is huge. So if we want to get off of Horford, we have to give more assets to get rid of that. So funny use of of owners. So obviously, as a fan, it's easy to argue that owners should spend money that isn't mine. Uh, But this owner group, and I've mentioned this before, they're not. They're they are some of the least wealthy owners in the NBA in terms of assets, Uh, and that means that they're being a little frugal with this team. They don't want to spend extra money with a team that isn't a real contender. And they have said that they would pay for a contender. And in for the 08 championship team, they did. And I don't have any data to suggest they would not do that again. But they are definitely pinching some pennies these days. Uh, and so that that is frustrating to me as a fan. If I'm Brad Stevens or if I was Danny Ainge, then uh, you have to do what your boss tells you to do. So... Uh, I'm sure that that this ownership group is great. Still, I mean, they they support the team, and and you need continuity with owners, uh, executive level, and coaching. And, and I think we still have that here, uh, which fans should be thankful for. So I think you have to avoid it as Brad Stevens, because your boss is telling you to. And it would be lovely if we didn't have to this year. In the end, it doesn't make sense to start the repeater clock, um, which you know we can get into another podcast about. Well, the repeater can I, tax I, and things can like I that. Go, can I go on a mini rant on this, Please. actually? Because this, this, this is like one of the things that drives me crazy. Um, I Okay, so I think it obviously the Celtics should avoid the tax this season. Um, a, it's not my money. If I were a general manager, I would not want to pay the tax for a team that clearly is not a championship contender. That's, that's point one. Um, uh, and that's the... the within a current season 
perspective. But the thing that drives me crazy is sometimes I, I, I've seen pushback to the idea that you shouldn't start the re repeater tax, like, or you shouldn't worry about starting the repeater tax at this point because that's far enough away that and enough things could happen that you can avoid it, you know, at some future point. Every everything you do, um, you know, if you start the if you start the repeater tax clock now, you are diminishing your future flexibility. And that is not something you should do without some something resembling a plan. I don't think the Celtics have enough of uh, a, a pathway towards contention in the next one, one to two years where it's – because to me, you start the clock – on the repeater tax as closely aligned to when you're about to enter the championship contention fray because you want to sustain that over a multi-year time horizon and given that we have an ownership group we do you know it's not joe lacob it's not joseph sai right it's yeah um you know these guys they're not going to pay a 105 million dollar tax bill um even with probably a championship contender so you have to be judicious about when you start that clock uh so i just i i've you like to me you just it's an obvious and good management choice not to start the clock if you're not in a championship conversation assuming that you're not giving up assets in order to do it which danny Ainge was doing it do, I, I still think it depends and if that it if that asset is a second rounder i'm not that worried about it um it, it and, does... and we didn't we didn't give up the asset uh to avoid the tax when it came to Horford and Kemba, we gave up the asset because Horford can actually play in the NBA still. And Kemba is pretty much a bench guy at best. Like one is a much better NBA player today than the other and much more conducive to winning uh, on a consistent basis than the other. Like uh, I, painful as that is to say it, like Kemba is not in the New York Knicks rotation as an $8 million a year player. Um, and and that's in part because well no because Dennis David Dennis because uh, uh, Derek Rose is injured and Kemba still didn't assume the backup point guard role which seems like the role he maybe could secure on a team but anyway so well so the that's point a, the point on luxury tax and and ownership spending money does make me wonder about Danny Ainge now in Utah and how much whether that played a role for him or not uh, but. I think you had one more question about trades for the Celtics. I, I have one one last question for you. Do you believe the C's should trade Marcus Smart? God, I hope not. I hope they should not trade Marcus Smart. I mean, if the only way to to right this ship is to trade Marcus Smart, that just seems like you're going in the wrong direction. You're doing the what? wrong thing to to for the right outcome. Like Marcus has to be part of of the future, not because. I'm just a, I'm in love with Marcus Smart, but because he does the right things on the court, he does the things that this team is missing on the court. He has his flaws, but um, and I and you know his, the number that he's signed to over the next four years is is not that bad. Um, yeah, like so nineteen million a year, right? Uh, like four years, seventy seven million dollars. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, you're, he's not crippling your cap. Um, he's the would kind of guy trade, you want on your team. So it depends who you're trading him for. Smart for Brogdon. I knew you were going to say that. I, I might. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, 
I would need to do a lot more research on Brogdon. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not as convinced I don't know as either. you are I that either. he is this is a solution here. Because I, I think I Marcus think... Smart is the like if Marcus Smart was not on this team, I'd be saying you got to trade for a guy like Marcus Smart. Yeah. No. I I want I would love like to me like Brogdon Smart. Jalen, Jason, Rob could be really exciting. It's a, that's a bit small. Um, I don't know. There are some tough questions there, but uh, okay. So before we wrap, uh, is there a, well, trade one that last you, thing, Mike, a trade that you'd like to see? With, with that smart Brogdon idea, if you're not trading smart, I don't think you're getting Brogdon. It, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you would, uh, unless, you know, someone like Josh Richardson and a young player and picks really move the needle for yeah. uh, Indiana, which I wouldn't expect they would, but I don't really, I don't think Indiana knows what their, what their next moves are either. I, you know, they're in a, they're for as bad a place as the Celtics are in, the Pacers are in a worse place. Yep. So um, any, any trades you want to, you want to see Adam? I'd love to see Dennis Schroeder moved, as I mentioned. And when you look at the teams in the league, there aren't a lot that need a point guard. Uh, that may also not care, that are also contending or on the fringes. And it's so interesting to watch what has happened as a result of the play-in tournament. Now you've got an additional like eight teams who think that they're a contender. They think that they're going to make the playoffs. And so you've basically reduced the number of um, buyers by half. And you have this um, supply-demand problem now where everybody uh, is, is you've got a marketing uh, issue. And so there's very few teams that I, when I look around who I think would be interested, the bulls are an interesting one right now because of their recent injuries to Lonzo ball and Alex Caruso. Uh, they're both out. I want to say four to six weeks, whether that's enough time that they want to uh, get help now, I, I think they could be a team interested in Schroeder. Um, I've heard Minnesota is also interested in Schroeder, but there are not many teams interested. Like that question keeps coming up. But we, as Celtics fans, I think we're, we're like trade the guy, but you need a willing, interested partner. And it doesn't seem like there are many in the league, which is why we got him for six million. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time on the, on the trade machine. I don't have any definite trades that I, I really want to see or that are obvious that the Celtics should make to me. Um, and I, you know, I, I, there's discussion the Celtics could use more shooting. I agree with that. There's discussion that every team could use more uh, shooting. Yeah, there's discussion that the Celtics could use a better connecting point guard. We've talked about that. Like I, that that guy doesn't really exist. Um, they they're they're not there aren't tons of them out there that it's, and the ones that are teams are not eager to give them away. That's why I like Brogdon. I think he's semi realistic. That's why I like Rubio. He's a you know he's injured obviously now, but he's going to be a free agent um if if we can kind of position to get him and like look if there's a trade we could um give up Schroeder and you know some other assets to match salary and get rubio so we have his bird rights or whatever the case may be and, and could resign him for next season like i would be interested in that um wow that's interesting but but like he's injured are, for the rest of the year that's he's injured for the rest of the year and probably into the start of next season but like those are aside from that like there's not much i'm i'm okay with kind of doing those very marginal moves i don't i don't think we'll be able to move horford and i'm not even convinced 
we want to move Horford. Um, the, the teams that I could see wanting Horford would be like maybe a Brooklyn, uh, maybe a um, Chicago, basically teams that are going to run up against the Sixers and uh, the Bucks because Horford is uh, effective against both Giannis and Embiid. Um, so like that to me is where his greatest value is, is, is specifically in the Eastern conference playoffs. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's not realistic salary matches. So I, I could be intrigued if Brooklyn was going to throw Joe Harris our way, even though he has all the injuries going on. Um, yep. So like, uh, that, that's, that, that's pretty much where my head is at on, on the trades. I'm okay if we just get under the tax line, don't really make any other uh, trades, and I will just firmly cross my fingers and toes. This, this team stays healthy, and Tatum and Brown continue to grow, and smart, because I, I love smart, too. I don't want us to trade him. I do want him to stop making too many flash, flashy passes. Like, he, he's, he's cut out a lot of the bad threes. Now he just needs to cut out some of the flashy passes. Well, the C's play... Uh, against Sacramento at home on Tuesday, then they go to Atlanta, to New Orleans, and then back home against Miami. If I know this team, and I think that I do, they will lose to the bad teams, Sacramento and New Orleans, and then beat Miami, right? That that sounds right. It's important to know who you're in relationship with. Exactly, exactly. And uh, even though we're on a break, I haven't. I'm still in relationship. All right. Uh, please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA. You can follow Josh at Coach Motenko. I am not on Twitter. You are a part of Celtics Pride. If you are still listening, thank you. Mm-hmm.